skibidoo bop bop. Good night. You had a whole point about diarrhea in your sermon. I kept thinking that you were just joking about diarrhea, and then at some point you were going to flip the switch, and it was a real different point. No. Dude, I laughed so hard. It was so actually hard. on the notes. A lot of people really have that. It's a huge oh, yeah. response. Oh, yeah, I heard. If I get super anxious, yeah. Oh, well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from your friends here at Sandals Church. I am your co-host, uh, Justin Party, sitting alongside Stephanie Schaefer. What's up, guys? Te- technically, for you YouTube watchers, I'm sitting across from Stephanie physically, but I'm alongside her mentally, emotionally, in support here of That's Pastor true. Man, pa- Pastor Man, the Pastor Man, Just the Pastor, the Matt Brown, P. Yeah. Set us up for success here. B. Yeah, here I am sitting at your right hand, ready to do a show, set you up, do it. You know, you know, you're I'm your right hand man right now, but you're Stephanie's right hand man. Yeah. Yes, I we am. are all each other's right hand person. That's yeah. awesome. If you look around the table. I have been there for Stephanie when she needed guidance. It's and true. let me tell you. I need a lot. There had been some times. You've there. done pretty good the last couple of years. Thank you. I'm trying. Boom. Yeah. Well, we're all feeling good. We had a, a sermon about anxiety yes. and uh, mm-hmm. diarrhea this weekend, and that was yeah. really awesome. Also, Jesus and um, good parts of being a Christian. So that was all mixed and blended in together in a really fun way. Yeah. yeah. Were you anxious in preparing that message? No. I was super anxious uh, for 40 Days of Faith, but, yeah. but now, not, not for talking about anxiety. No. Now you feel like you're in a go-kart and you're just kind of rolling down the hill. You're satisfied and at peace. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 thrilled that we raised ten million bucks. Well, we haven't raised ten million bucks. That people pledged ten million bucks, and that's really really important. Um, I think we I don't know what we've raised two million so far. So I think we're twenty percent there. So, but people have pledged ten point three million. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, Woo! it's incredible. Well, before we get started on the show, I want to mention again that this episode is being sponsored by our friends over at Gateway Seminary. Um, And actually, they have a really interesting program there. If you are just wanting to have more knowledge of the Bible, maybe you are starting to teach people in your small group or you're working with kids, they actually have Bible teaching certificate programs. And you only need a high school diploma or a GED to qualify for their certificate program. So if you don't have a bachelor's, there are still options for you there at Gateway Seminary. If you want to learn more, go ahead and check out gs.edu. I think you need to get a Bible certificate. I was thinking about that. Well, I would like, um, yeah, I actually, I have a certified babysitter thing that I got from the YWCA a long time ago, but I was just trying to think, do I have any other certificates? Mm. Do you have any good certificates here? I don't think I have any good certificates, other than like, you know, student I think I'm CPR certified, or I was at one time. That's it. Oh, yeah, but I don't trust CPR certification because I, too, became CPR certified. As part of your babysitter certificate? No, um, yeah, I probably would have trusted <laughs> I that so. one. No, when I through minist- doing ministry stuff here, and I would not do the right thing if there was CPR. Did you guys hear about the pro boxer that died yesterday in oh, the no. uh, croissant eating contest? Oh, no. Oh. He choked to death on his third croissant. I'm not kidding. That's probably the way you want to go. I just was thinking about, yeah. I hope it was buttery. Uh, well, oh, clearly that's not, because that's why it didn't go down. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, you literally have survived a f- professional career of fighting. Yeah. And yeah. how do you die? A croissant. I didn't know they had croissant eating contests. Yeah. Like, that makes me I bet. I bet in heaven he's popular. <laughs> yeah, assuming he made it to heaven. Man, I, I got a Jesus hope is like, this is new. Assuming he made it to heaven. <laughs> hey, guys. Yeah, tell me how this one went down. Tell me how this one did. My third oh, croissant. My I hope it was baked, like, handmade, not store-bought. I did a wet. Speaking of going to heaven. No, I hope it was store-bought. I don't want to waste handmade croissants on a croissant eating contest. You no, but if you're going to, the last croissant you ever eat, oh, if it's going to yeah. kill you, it shouldn't be, like, a little store-bought you know, grocery store, a little dealio. Mm. I did a wedding and there were, it was, the bride was Russian. It was awesome. They had, she had a lot of Russian family came in and this one guy came up to me in an all black suit and everything afterwards. And he says, hello, father, he, which I thought was awesome. Call me father. And then he says, next time we see each other, we'll be in heaven. 
And then he goes, ha, ha, ha. He walked away. Did you feel a little angry? He, he walks away, turns around, and goes, or maybe we won't. Whoa. <laughs> I know, I know. It was awesome. Yeah. I did a funeral uh, this weekend where the bride's name was Helga. The sister was Ursula. Like, it was like a Disney movie. Uh, yeah, it was It was a trip. That's great awesome. family. Hmm. Great family. Like, like Austrian-German descent family. Great family. Uh, one of our major, major contributors, uh, Robert Wolf, you know him. Yeah. So he uh, helped found Moreno Valley. Good dude. But um, it was interesting, all those names. You just don't hear those names a lot. Right. No. So. Speaking of the way that guy made me feel when he said, maybe we'll meet again in heaven, uh, we've got a lot of questions about anxiety that came in well, from, yeah. we do. from yeah. this week. You had an incredible sermon, and we've got, I like, probably... I think every time we talk about anxiety, we get some of the most questions. I know. I need to talk about it more often. You know what? You probably, if we want to get a lot of questions on the show, we should talk about the anxiety of sex and money or something. Like put those three together mm -hmm. and you would get them. Everybody, those are the three topics where we always get the most amount yeah. of questions. Well, they tend to affect us all a lot. It's true. So, all right. So let's jump on in. Our first question actually comes from Andrea and she says, your sermon could not have been better timed. I'm one month out from finishing my PhD and I'm facing a lot of stress. I know I need to pray to God and give him my worries, but how do I turn it over to him when it's still up to me to get the work done? How do I take responsibility for my work while also casting my cares on God? Well, I think, yeah, I think you do exactly what you say, you say you're doing. The work, it does depend upon you. That's not all up to God. God's given you gifts, your talents. He's given you those things. And so you need to work diligently and get things done. Um, you know, so, I mean, if we don't do stuff, God's not going to miraculously do it. So we've got to do it. Um, but I think ultimately you've got to trust that God's given you your talents. You've walked down this path and you've got to trust him to guide you in this process. And what I would say is you do the work, but give your anxiety to the Lord. Mm -hmm. So that's where I would separate. So the work is your responsibility. Your anxiousness is God's responsibility. And I would hand that over to him and say, God, help me in this I'm feeling so small, I'm feeling stressed. And I think that, it, first of all, I would say, I think it's normal that you feel a little anxious about uh, your PhD. This is a big process, it's a scary thing. Um, I went through that when I was in school and and I know how much work that is and how scary that is. There's a lot of pressure. And um, you know, you have your boards or I don't know where she is, if this is her final um, uh, paper or project right. or whatever they call it, but it, the, the whole thing is just terrifying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Andrew, I'll be praying for you. Okay, so Gabby says, how can I overcome anxiety when I simply feel like I can't escape it? It interferes with everything I do, and it's putting me in such a dark place in my life. Right, so I think that the first thing you have to do is just say, okay, Lord, I don't want to overcome this. How do I become less anxious? So go back to what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians mm. 2, 28. I've sent Epaphroditus to you so that I might be less anxious. So the goal is, is how do I minimize my anxiety? Because if we wanted it to go away and it doesn't, what does that do? That actually increases our anxiety. Mm -hmm. And we say, okay, Lord, so I, I want this to go away, but I'm gonna trust you in this. And so what we have to do is by prayer and petition or prayer and supplication, right? That's Philippians 4, 6. So I'm gonna pray about this. God, I'm gonna be specific. And so I'm gonna write out, Lord, here's the areas that I think are making me anxious. And then again, you've gotta go back to the Thanksgiving by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So God, what have you done for me in the past? And again, you know, we had this great discussion in small group last night. Why do we think, you know, the question was, why do you think God requires thanksgiving? Because it takes the attention and focus off us. So the more attention and focus you have on yourself, the more anxious you are, the more attention and focus you have on God, automatically, the less anxious you are. So, uh, and that's the peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, that's when Jesus guards your heart and your mind is, God, I'm gonna trust you in this process. I know that you're gonna be with me. Even if I screw this up, God, 
I know you're gonna be with me. And so I need to trust him with that. But again, work through that formula and just say, okay, God, here's my prayer, here's my request, um, but here's the things that I'm thankful for. And write those out, write out, because it's easy to be negative. I mean, the reality is from our childhood, we remember way more bad things than we do good things. And oftentimes we have to be reminded of the good things. And so we need to remind ourselves, when have I heard from God? When have I felt God? I mean, I would say the first thing is, God, thank you for addressing anxiety from my church. Mm-hmm. I would start there. Thank you for a pastor that's, you know, maybe some of you thought I was a little too real, but, um, <laughs> you know, thank you for a pastor that's willing to talk about, you know, the reality of anxiety in his life and how it manifests itself, you know, through bad bowel movements. I mean, that's just the reality. <laughs> so um, that's what I would say. You know, a lot of people felt like I went too far, but man, if we don't deal with anxiety, and I think a lot of us don't, just aren't honest about how it manifests itself in mm-hmm. us. And, and a lot of you don't have irritable bowel syndrome. You have anxiety. You don't have gluten intolerance. You have anxiety. It's not milk. It's your anxiety. So I, I would look there first and say, okay, God, how do I reduce this? Yeah. Well, and I think one of the lies of anxiety is that you'll always feel like this or right. you'll always be sick. You'll always feel like, cause even like, you know, Hannah wrote in similar to Gabby, like, how, like, is my anxiety ever going to go away? And I think some of that Thanksgiving is just reminding you of the times that God has showed up. He's answered your prayers. He's taken care of you and that you won't always feel like this. Cause I think that's one of the lies I felt all the time when I feel anxious is that I'm always going to feel like this. This is always going to be hard forever. Or even, you know, with her, um, with Andrea and her PhD, like, this is always going to be hard. I'm always going to be this stress. Yeah. And some of it's your personality. Some of it is your, uh, um, you know, just, just what's happened to you in life. Some of it's your chemistry. Um, so you need to deal with those things. And so what I would say is when I realized my life was out of control, I started going to counseling. Um, I, I went um, literally for um, some spiritual healing and I started exercising. I completely changed my life and I had, and I had to change it physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not to say that I don't, I still don't struggle with anxiety. I still do, but it's not overwhelming. Um, I just think I'm one of those people that's going that has been an anxious person. I, I, I've been this way since I was a child. I remember being six, seven years old, fixating on death. Like that's not normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I should have been thinking about playgrounds and toys and whatever. I was fixating on worrying about dying when I'm six, mm-hmm. um, and that's just that just seems odd to me. So I've always been an anxious person. So that's just that's the way part of the way God made me. So I have to trust God with the way that He's made me and trust Him in that and say, okay. You know, these verses uh, where God talks about anxiety are for me. He loves me. He loves the anxious person. And he's inviting the anxious person to bring those requests, to cast all your worries, all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And so we need to remind ourselves of that. Can you imagine how much more terrified you would be if you were a kid when uh, Toys R Us went out of business? Yeah. Like tragic. Yeah. I heard some rich dudes buying it though. I'm hoping they're bringing it back. (gasps) That's what I heard. Okay, I'm going to add that to my prayers after the 10 million. Add that to your supplication. (laughs) Uh, So this question also came in um, and she says, as a new believer, I was often encouraged that when praying about something, I'd know if I was in God's will, if if I felt peace, except that I'm generally not a peace-filled person. I think she's probably similar to you. I typically feel anxious. I have questions and doubts and even fears when facing big decisions. Can you talk about the role peace versus anxiety play and how we pray for God's wisdom or will in our life? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, you know, a lot of us, so what she's saying there is, is how do I know God's will, right? And it's, there's this anxiety that comes from that. And so I think a lot of us fail to understand how we know God's will. And so there's a, there's a Jewish proverb that's shared at Shabbat, which is uh, their Saturday or Friday evening service, Saturday afternoon service. Um, and it's shared multiple times a year. Some families share it differently, but it's, it's a story of a, of a, a father with four sons. So he has a bad son, he has a foolish son, 
he has a sick son and he has a wise son. And so when you look at that story, you say, well, he has a bad son. Why doesn't he have a good son? So, okay, so he has a sick son. He has, uh, what did I say? A wise son. A wise son. He has a bad son and he has foolish. a foolish son. So a lot of us don't understand, well, where's the good son? The good son is the wise son. Wisdom is how you understand God, mm. becoming wise. Wisdom is speaking. And so what that means is, what I need to do is I need to make good decisions. I need to be wise. Jesus actually says this, that the people of the world are more shrewd than the kingdom. And so what that means is a lot of times we just make dumb decisions and we think God's gonna save us. So Jesus says, be as shrewd as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. So our morality, in our, in our moral makeup, we must be innocent and obedient to the scriptures, but we have to be shrewd as a serpent. We have to be wise. There are decisions in our life where we get one or two opportunities. And so here's the first thing, you need to decide, are you a wise person? And you need to be honest with that. And a lot of people who think they're wise aren't. Um, you know, I, I was listening to a person who thinks they were totally wise and literally every word that was coming out of his mouth in my heart, I was like, I disagree, I disagree, I disagree. That's a bad decision. That's stupid. You're ridiculous. This is going nowhere. So um, so, so, so if, if you're not wise, you need to find somebody who is wise and learn from them. And so wise people are usually right, hmm. usually. So um, unwise people are usually wrong. So find a wise, per wise person to help guide you in that. And so wisdom comes from knowing the word of God and applying it to your life over and over and over again. So Jesus Christ, Luke 2.52, grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. So even Jesus Christ, the good son, right? the perfect son of God, the unique son of God grew in wisdom. And he wows in Luke two, um, he wows the smartest people in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. They're amazed at his thinking, at his reasoning, at his ability to take scripture and apply it to his life. And so, you know, people say, well, I just don't understand how you got that out of scripture. Well, it's God's gift of wisdom. It's my practice. It's my study. It's a lifelong application of God's word to me. And so you need to find people who are wise that can instruct you and direct you. Um, and so this is where I would maybe disagree with what people have told her is that you will have peace when God leads you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes God leads us into difficult things. Mm -hmm. So if you think about Good Friday, I don't know that Jesus had peace about the cross. So he mm -hmm. prayed about it, he sweat drops of blood. In the end, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have peace about it, but he's wise and so he trusts the Father. Mm -hmm. He trusts He trusts God. Um, and so he, he does the right thing. And so I think what we have to do is we have to try to do the right thing as best we can. Um, and, and, and when things blow up, we need to ask ourselves, okay, what's going on? Why did this go? We need, to, we need to reevaluate. We need to look again in our life and say, okay, what's happening here? Because a lot of us assume that we're constantly walking in God's will and our lives are blowing up and things are messed up all around us. And what I would say is that's an invitation to reevaluate. And I think Christians are pressured into saying dumb things like, God will give you a sense of peace about it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I always know, get annoyed when I hear that because I also think pe I've seen people make really foolish decisions that they felt very peaceful about. You sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think on my best decisions at Sandals Church, I'm 70, 80% certain. Mm -hmm. So I try to make the best decision I can. I try to make the wisest decision. And here's the thing is when I've sat in meetings with our leadership at Sandals and I've gone with a group and not with what I felt like God was leading me, Sandals has made the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. And so I have to 
press into that. I have to listen to what God's telling me. God's appointed me the leader and I have to push forward in that because at the end of the day, God's not gonna hold the group accountable. He's gonna hold me accountable. So what I would say for you is you've got to grow in your wisdom, grow in um, what you know to be true about scripture and just know Christians say dumb things. Mm -hmm. They just do. People don't know the Bible. They don't read scripture. Um, Even I, when I read through scripture, um, you know, I've been in the New Testament now for probably six months. So what that means is my Old Testament and my Hebrew Bible learning, it's fading. I mean, if I don't use it, I lose it. That's just the truth. So I'm going to go back through that here pretty quickly and be once again reminded of, oh yeah, oh yeah. I learn something new every time. Uh, and some things I've forgotten, some things I need to be reminded. So I would just say um, the peace that God gives that guards your heart is that my soul is taken care of. That at the end of the day, no matter what happens, whether I lose my job, I die, I'm bankrupt, whatever happens, God's got my soul. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's Mm -hmm. what he promises. It's not that you're gonna have peace in this world, man, because this world is not peaceful. It's a scary place. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird, weird place. We are sheep amongst wolves and that's scary. So what we need to do is get as close to the shepherd as we possibly can. Great question. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I was just <clears throat> I was just thinking my my wife called me today. I was teaching at the city college and I had to go home because she couldn't take the kids to school because the bumper fell off the front of our van and we finally get the kids to school. I'm come back home and we're standing there in the driveway with my wife and my mother-in-law and we're all just looking at it and eventually we just started laughing out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like it's not that I didn't it's not that I'm like unhappy or happy that that happened, but just right. like Whatever, what good is, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, stressing out about it's not going to put the bumper back on. Exactly. No. Uh, yeah. But some duct tape and some twine. Yes. I think I think that's going to help. Yeah. It's going to help yeah. me out. Okay, so this question came in. It says, I'm a female who just turned 33 a few days ago. I've never been married, have no children, and do not own my own home. For the last few years, I've been anxious that none of these things will happen. How can I get through this anxiety? Because sometimes it keeps me up at night. And we're going to connect this. Yeah. So Nina and her friends or wrote in on behalf of her friends. They're in the same exact situation as this other uh, woman who wrote in said, we're struggling with desires for intimacy that go beyond what are meant in friendship and community. How do we successfully overcome this anxiety and the accompanying feelings of unworthiness and loneliness and the physical God-given desires that we're praying against? You know, she says like we're in community, we're in church, but it still feels like we're at war with our own hearts. How do we right. overcome that yeah. anxiety? Well, um, I mean, that's just the result of our culture. We, we we have a culture that does not value marriage, does not value growing up. I mean, li- literally we're engaged in culture wars. You know, we're, we're taught that, you know, men and women are the same. That's not the truth. They're very, very different. Um, and so the result of teaching men that they're the same is we have a bunch of men who haven't grown up, who aren't ready to be providers, who are not looking to... Um, to marry, they're, they're just not looking for that. They're a bunch of boys. And so what that means is it's very, very difficult to find men, uh, specifically in California. I mean, I think that there are other states in America where men are more traditional. Um, you, and I think you have to go to the South for that, where they're looking to be married. Um, you know, they're not looking for the uh, the typical, you know, New York runway model, but they're they're looking for a good, amazing woman. Um, and I just think that there, there are different cultures in our society. So that's the first thing is you are a casualty of our deconstructionist society where everybody is tearing down Judeo-Christian values. They're ripping them down. We have no idea what's coming. And what's happening is, you know, there aren't any men. It was interesting. I read this article in the uh, Washington Post by a feminist. And she was talking about how disgusted she is with the current crop of men. Mm. And what she was complaining about is these men are passive. 
uh, these men are not men. They didn't lead. The whole time she talks about it on the date, you know, he he when I would say, what do you want to do? He'd say, whatever you want to do. Well, that's how you've trained these guys. That's the result. You know, men are afraid to take charge, be men, make mistakes. They're, they're terrified. And it's interesting, this feminist is talking about, she's disgusted. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, maybe that's the result of what we've been teaching men. Men are terrified. They're terrified to be men. They're terrified to grow up. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they are. Um, you know, um, there are consequences when we when we, we throw out words like toxic and masculinity. Mm-hmm. When you put those words together, I mean, what does that say to young boys? What does that say to young men? What does that do to uh, literally half of our country? And so we have to say, okay, we need to allow boys to be boys. We were just talking about your son who's struggling in mm-hmm. school. And it's because so much of the academic system is structured for people who sit well and listen, and that's women. Um, we talked about you know the, the upcoming crop of uh, incoming freshmen and how women are dominating every single college in all of these areas. And we have to figure out how do we raise men so that when you're 33 years old, there's men who want to get married. Are, and, and just so you know, ladies, being a husband, being a provider, those things are scary. Mm-hmm. And men are, I think, going to abdicate that responsibility to a woman. And, and many women don't want that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, for every woman that wants to be a feminist, there's another woman that says, no, I want my husband to lead. I want my husband to be strong. You know, um, my, my wife wants me to be the man. She wants it clear. She's not, you know, that, that, that's who she is. That's what she wants. It provides her comfort. Uh, she's less anxious when I lead, when I'm strong. Now I need to do that in a servant, with a servant's heart. Mm-hmm. I've had to earn uh, a lot of that because a lot of it comes with trust. Um, but, but, but so just know that you're the, you're the product of our culture. I remember uh, in 2009, there was a construction work in our church. And, and this is what he said. He said, uh, he lost his job. He had a construction company and he was going bankrupt. And he said, I don't understand why God is doing this to me. I said, well, actually it's the whole country. The entire country is going under. Uh, <laughs> if you guys don't remember the world, the world was on the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah. And President Bush was, uh, this is in 07, was, was in a real, real bad place where basically the United States decided to bail out the world. Whether that was a good decision or not, that's what George Bush Jr., decided to do. It was a scary time. So what he was doing is he thinks he's Job when the reality is we, we'd lived in a dishonest culture mm-hmm. where people were lying about their mortgages and what they could afford and banks were taking advantage of that. And, you know, it was the government being dumb and people being immoral and you got this great thing together. And you got this person saying, why is God doing this to me? Well, we have these women saying, why is God not providing me for with a spouse, with a man. Well, that's part of the consequence of a culture that does not raise men, mm-hmm. that does not teach them to be men. And so, you know, that was one of the struggles. You know, you have a daughter, but you have boys and you have girls and they're very different. And, you know, my wife, we, we had a lot of discussions and discussions slash arguments <laughs> in raising our son <clears throat> because um, we had a different approach. And my wife would constantly say, you're too harsh. You're, you're, you're too negative, you're this, you're that. And it was interesting at my son's 15th birthday party, when it was his time to share, here's what he said. He said, dad, I'm glad you treat me like a man and you don't talk to me like I'm a boy. He said, it makes me feel like you see in me something that I don't see in myself. And my wife's like, and, and not that I'm always right because she's been she's been right a lot, but you know, she wants me to be delicate when what he needs is firmness. He's a man and that's what he needs. And 
you know, um, I, I had to depend upon my wife a lot for, for our girls. I, you know, I had to learn to talk differently. You know, I can't tell you how many times I had to say, I'm not yelling. And then I realized, well, if they think I'm yelling, I must be yelling. So mm-hmm. I've got to pull it back. I grew up in a home with all boys, right? If there's a problem, you go out in the backyard, somebody's bleeding and it's over. <laughs> that's just that's just how it was in our home. And, and that's just, you know, my wife grew up with all girls, all feelings, all emotions. And and man, we, we, we had it rough. And so, uh, you know, my heart goes out to you. Don't give up. Yeah. I think, Stephanie, you can comment specifically oh. on this mm-hmm. um, because you got to continue to trust in God. It's a long game. I'm mm-hmm. sure you didn't want to wait till you were 33 to be married, you know, this person, but that's where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, continue to cry out to God and, and pray for that right guy. Mm-hmm. So why don't you give us some yeah, wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when it comes to the anxiety piece of it, especially, I think what you were saying earlier, Pastor Matt, that regardless of what happens, I think where the, the real peace is going to come from is trusting that God knows you, he sees you, and he's kind and is going to take care of you. Um, that's where, like, I had to land. I mean, I didn't meet my husband until I was 30. Um, and so I had to process through a lot of these feelings of this may never happen. Like I may never get married. I may never, you know, have the life for the children of the family that I thought I would. And what ultimately I came to and where I found peace in that was, well, God is good and God's going to take care of me because it is scary to be a single woman out there trying to do your thing, trying to provide for yourself. Um, you know, women do typically make less. And so it's harder to provide for yourself on a single income. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to trust like God's going to be the one who provides for me if he's not going to bring me a husband to help with that part. I need to trust that God's going to take care of me and not leave me out to dry or leave me alone forever. Um, so I think a lot of the anxiety needs to come in trusting that God will continue to ca- take care of you. If our culture isn't going to produce men that you can marry, you still have a God who's going to care for you and be there with you. Um, it doesn't make the longing go away or the hard parts go away, um, but it doesn't mean that God's not unkind or that he doesn't see you because he will see you and I think take care of you regardless of what our society is mm-hmm. doing and not producing men. And they're, there are men out there, um, you know, Tyler came out of nowhere and was, you know, not your typical Southern California guy who'd been, you know, living in his parents' right. basement. Well, we don't have basements in Southern California. Well, but, but also, okay, let's be fair. He did see you on stage talking. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I think women have to to talk about is, is how do I put myself on stage? What does that look like as a Christian woman? How do I yeah. put myself out there? So the first thing that I would say is get some good guy friends mm-hmm. and have some harsh conversations yeah. and just be like, okay, well, is there something I'm doing? You know, my wife's favorite movie is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And, or is it eight days or what? <laughs> no, it's 10. You're right. It's 10 days. Oh my gosh, right? And there's some things, you know- um, There's some good lessons to You know, guys that. don't, you know, one of our biggest fights was Tammy and I first got married. I came home and our whole bedroom was decorated like Tammy married a woman. I'm like, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was horrible. And I love my wife, but it's like, this does not reflect us mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. You know, um, and so that was something. So, so you know, what is it that I'm doing? Am I sharp? Am I edgy? Do I, um, yeah. how, how do I present myself? You know, um, do I, have, simple thing, do I have bad breath? Do I, maybe do I have a haircut? Or, you know, my wife and I ha- have these conversations. I've said, you are beautiful. Not everything looks great on you. Not everything does. You're, and so You're brave. <laughs> well, and what I've had to say is I like, I think things look great on you that look like this. Things that look like this don't compliment you. And so, right, I mean, and so that's the problem. So a lot of these dresses and outfits are designed for sticks that rock, walk on a runway. And yes, it looks great on the the mannequin or online or whatever, but it might not fit your body type. And that's the thing is all of our bodies, you know, are, are different. Mm-hmm. And man, none of us have the bodies that we want. I mean, I got the shortest legs that, man, you guys have no idea how short my legs are, but man, I am like Fred Flintstone. 
So, um, <laughs> so nobody knows who that is but anymore. But I think it is important to like get input from yes. people about, you know, like how you're received and all that. And I think. I do it to you all the time. You do. And you were a really all, great help at the All the <laughs> time. Too. And you know, you know that I love you yeah. and I, I'm like your brother and I'm like, hey, I need you, you know, and I'll comment on something you're wearing. And you, I don't think you get hurt feelings. No. Okay. Because you know that I love you and I want you to look your best and I want people to respect you. And I care about that. And so what I would say is what you you guys need is a mat in your life, an older brother that loves you, Mm -hmm. that's rooting for you. Like probably the only people on earth that wanted Stephanie to fall in love and get married more than me were her mom and dad. Like we're we're real close. I think you guys guys were neck and neck. We're really close. Like I think I cried more at Stephanie's wedding than her dad. It was close. (laughs) Probably more than your mom, for sure. I don't know. Well, your mom's a listener. So I I didn't see you crying. I saw saw her dad crying. Uh, but it was something that I prayed for. It was something that I longed for. Um, you know, we we had some dark days together, but mm-hmm. through that, you trusted me. Um, I, I could give you feedback and mm-hmm. input. And um, yeah. and like, I, well as a man, know what men are looking at and what they think. And mm-hmm. so I can just say, hey, here's some perspective. And just know, girls, your girlfriends don't know, don't have man eyes. They just don't. They don't know what men are looking for and looking at. And that's not to say that everything that men are looking for is uh, holy, but it's just to say, yeah. okay, I want some godly men in my life, in my small group, who can talk with me about, you know, what are some things that I can do, and 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 that's that's important. Yeah. Um, and the same thing goes for guys. I don't I don't want you know all the feminists in our church to just launch into me. The same thing is for guys, man. Some of you guys, you just, you, you look terrible. Like <laughs> you've got to put it together, and because women don't want to marry a loser, no, they don't. They, they they care about how their man looks, about how he's seen, and 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 how he's perceived. I mean, the, the, we are social creatures. We, we just are, and those things matter. So, did I show you guys the photo Lindy sent me last no. week? No, she she sent me a text message a week ago. Because oh. you know how your phone will show you photos from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just texted me out of the blue in the middle of the day a photo of me and my beard from like three years, two years ago, something. Yeah. And she just was like. How did I even let you have this beard? It was so <laughs> awful. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to say, like, in addition to getting, you know, input from guys in your life, <clears> I would also like encourage you to talk to like married women. I know what can tend to happen is when you're single, you ha- all your friends are single too, and you you kind of get in an echo chamber there yeah. of there are no men out there, no one understands what it's like to be single, which some of that is true, but it's I think it's important to have men that speak into your life and married women to speak into your life because they can help kind of pull the pressure off of, well, we just need to figure out how to get married, or because you're gonna go into those relationships with a lot of heavy expectations, putting expectations, I think, on men to be something that they're not designed to be for you. You know, the savior, the ultimate thing that's going to fix all of your problems. Um, so I was just, because I know Nina wrote in on behalf of her and her friends. So I know, you know, you've got a group of friends there that are talking about this and struggling through this with you. So as you're working through this, I would definitely bring in, yeah, like you're saying, Pastor Matt, the voices of men in your lives. Mm-hmm. And I would say some married women and some people in some yeah. different seasons of life, because it just helps give you some perspective and avoid the echo chamber. Because I, I've experienced that. Like, you're sitting around with your single friends and you're all talking about how, well, there's no men. And they may use this episode to say like, well, see, Pastor Matt said, there's no men out there. All the guys suck. There's a lot of people out there. It is slim pickings, but that doesn't mean there's nothing. Yeah. Um, So I would just encourage you. It's like Nordstrom Rack. You got to (laughs) dig. It is. But there's some great stuff there. There is, right? Nordstrom Rack, man. I was trying to tell my son. He's like, there's nothing there. I was like, there was nothing there today. But, but that's come how we back go back tomorrow, all the time. There I think I've be. run into you at the rack before. Yes. I spent a lot of time there. So. I'm a pastor. I'm on a pastor's salary. I have to <laughs> watch my... So yeah. here's the other thing is she feels abnormal because she's in church. To be 30 nowadays and single is normal. Mm-hmm. That's People are getting married later and later. I am mm-hmm. abnormal. You were at, How old were you when you were married? 
25? 24, 5. 24. That, okay, that's not normal anymore. That people are, people, mm-hmm. Most people would say culturally, not biblically, culturally, yeah, that's way too young. You know, I was 25 when I got married. Tammy turned 22 the next day. I was three years older. So that that's abnormal. Yeah. Um, so just know that like we live in a culture where, where people, especially men, probably are not considering marriage, mm-hmm. many of them, until their mid-30s. Yeah. So um, that's, that's just the reality. So, yeah. Okay, so speaking of men and responsibility, Brian wrote in and says, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around not worrying because I find that with my career, kids, finances, if I'm not worrying about these things, something will slip or get missed. Do I just need to figure out what level of anxiety I can handle than just surrender to God what's uh, something I can't handle? Or is anxiety like this God's way of telling me I'm not following the path I should be on? No, I, well, y- yes, Anxiety mm-hmm. is you're not following the path that God wants you on because, but what it is, it's an invitation to trust God. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is, of course, being a dad, paying bills, being a husband. Did he say he's a husband? Yeah, oh, man, it's not easy, you guys. And so, right, single people, uh, married people don't know what single people go through. Single people, you don't have any idea what it's like to be married. I mean, it's challenging. I mean, you just switched sides, right? Mm-hmm. You went to the other team. I, I joined the other team. And so what would you say the biggest difference for you, because you're, you're still anxious, you're still worried, your life is not complete no. and you are married, right? And you have a daughter. No, right? I mean- Oh yeah, no. I mean, you know- if, Yeah. I, I, I had more anxiety. I should have asked you this question in July. I think we would have gotten a better answer. <laughs> oh, no, you would have gotten a real sad version of me in yeah. July. Um, but yeah, no, I, I had worse anxiety when I started dating Tyler than I had ever had before because wow. all of a sudden there's another person involved in my life and affecting my emotions and my time and my decisions than there had been before. When you're single, you have this, I was just talking to somebody about this this morning. You have this bubble around you where not a lot can really affect you. You let, you bring another person in on that and everything mm-hmm. affects you completely differently. You care about that person. That person's decisions affect you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had wor- I had way worse anxiety when Tyler and I started dating. And then he ended up having worse anxiety after we got married because mm. the game changes. Yeah, it's pressure. This, yeah, and then you throw a tiny human into that mix who you're always worried is going to die Yeah, if you have anxiety like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Little yeah. kids are scary. Yeah. So medium sized ones too. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. sizes. Yeah. Adults are scary too. <laughs> yes. People are scary. Right. Life so, scary. so I think the lie we tell ourselves is, is if my Facebook status changes, mm-hmm. see, that's the lie. The truth is whether I'm single or married, I have to trust Christ. Mm-hmm. I have to trust him. And so what I have to do is I have to stop worrying whether I'm single or married. And I have to bring my worries to Christ with prayers and supplication and thanksgiving. So, you know, as this married guy that talked, has God provided in the previous months? Has has God been there? And you need to thank God for those things. Um, you know, what I kept telling myself as we were going through, um, you know, the momentum campaign, and, and, and the, the scariest thing about that is we had no indication. We had no idea through the campaign where we were. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, in the weeks leading up, people were like, yeah, here's a million, here's half a million, here's a hundred thousand, like zero. Yeah. Well, not zero, but very, very little came yeah. in. I think we had like $60,000 pledged mm-hmm. leading up to when we're asking for 10 million. So what I had to do in those moments is go, okay, God provided through 24 mm-hmm. seven. Man, we didn't even make our reach goal. Some of you don't know that our reach goal was 8 million. We got five point, like two, I can't remember, five, five and change million. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still did everything that we were supposed to do. Well, not everything. That's why we still have a parking challenge at Hunter Park. But but a, a lot of what we were supposed to do, we accomplished. God got us through that. So when we made our goal, God got me through. When we fell a little short, God got me through. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, regardless of what happened on momentum, God's going to get us through. 
And so that's what we have to do. And so, you know, I, I don't think you're freaking out over 10 million, like, you know, like I was, mm-hmm. um, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of stress. I, it was terrifying, but I had to go back in order to trust God for the future. And that's why just go through your Bible, read through the Bible and, and look at every time God says, remember, mm-hmm. remember, remember, remember. So if you go to Israel and the Jews have tassels hanging on the sides of, of, of their hips, like on their belts, the reason for that is because I think it's in Deuteronomy, uh, they find somebody gathering sticks on the Sabbath and they're like, what do we do? And God's like, strike them dead. And so then he says, take tassels and tie them on your waist to remind yourself. And like they're little sticks, mm-hmm. right? They're little twigs. Mm-hmm. Remind yourself to keep the Sabbath day holy. It's not a day for gathering sticks. It's a day for worship and rest. And um, and so that's where that, that commandment comes from to remind them that, nope, God means I need to rest. I need to stop. And again, for this guy, it's so easy to say, <clears throat> I need to make extra money. So I work the extra day. Mm-hmm. What that means is you're trusting in yourself and not in God. You're saying, I must work seven days. God says, no, you don't. You got six days to work. You got six days to make whatever it is you need to make. On the seventh day, you must rest. And uh, and I can tell you, I've learned that. I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, right now I'm, I'm training for my last Ironman. This time is the truth, I'm even though I'm a three time. and my course in is lying. <laughs> so don't trust me. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, man, I can't tell you how many times I've gone more than seven days in a row exercising and then there's a <clears throat> there's a crash and it's mm. bad and I'll get sick and then I don't train for a couple of weeks. And so you just have to, mm-hmm. you know, at minimum every six days, stop and do nothing. So Yeah. I'm nailing that one. <laughs> I'm nailing that one. Okay, Sabrina says, I tend to get severely anxious when dealing with conflict. When conflict is resolved, however, I still remain anxious, and I don't know why. I continually pray over my anxiety, yet it still creeps up every even every now and then, but I can't pinpoint why it remains. How can I deal with this and overcome it through the Lord? There's that word overcome again. I yeah, so I, I have I have struggled deeply. So w- once you get into the study of the, of the Enneagram a little deeper, threes, when we're unhealthy, uh, we can go to the nine and the six. Mm-hmm. That's typically where we go. So six is the, you know, the core sin is fear. Nine is the core sin of laziness. And so the six, right, we're afraid of conflict. The nine, we avoid it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happens as a three. So I can completely, man, resonate with what you're saying. And mm-hmm. so literally for about 15 years at Sandals, I was terrified of conflict. And my fear was that when people get upset, so think about this, not only does it affect me relationally, but it affects the church financially. Because when people get upset and they go to another church, right? Not only did we lose a friendship, but we lost finances. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, double F you, right? Finances and friendship, <laughs> boom. You know, you just get you just get hosed. And so I had, man, there, there are people that are in every church in Riverside, Corona and the surrounding cities who are mad at me or whatever. And so here's what I've learned. I can't control the conflict. I can only control my behavior and my choices in it. And so what I do is I have to trust. I have to be honorable. I have to do what's good, right, and true. And people are gonna do what they're gonna do. And, mm-hmm. I, and I can't control that. And what I've learned is it makes me feel better. So what I would say is instead of fearing conflict, be afraid of sinning. Be afraid of what you're gonna do. Conflict's gonna happen. There's gonna be disagreements, man. Um, you know, it, it's, why, it's why I don't love talking about politics and I don't bring that into the church because man, I would imagine if the three of us looked at how we voted today, we're going to find some disagreements on multiple points. And yet we love Jesus. We're called to Sandals Church. And, you know, we, we want to And we do all this. hate daylight savings time. I Amen. hope. Yes. That's well, my opinion. I have small children. 
Yeah. So, um, so, so that's what I would say is that, um, you know, you, you need, you need to, you need to look at conflict for what it is. It's an opportunity for you and the loved one to do the right thing. Mm. And, and you need to look at it that way. I think it's okay to grieve the loss of friendships. It's, it's okay to grieve the loss of, of finances when there's a, a breakdown. Um, but you can't be, then what I've had to learn is I can't be held hostage by finances. I got to do the right thing no matter what it is. And people get upset and frustrated and whatever. So um, sometimes conflict though, uh, especially like in my marriage, when Tammy and I have conflict, I used to be terrified of it. Oftentimes after we work through conflict, what's on the other side is something beautiful oh, yeah. and something amazing. And so be willing to do the hard work so you can experience the good work. I mean, why do you work all year? So that you can do something good with your money and go on a vacation with your family, right? So that's difficult, but the end result is something beautiful. And conflict is the same way. Mm -hmm. It's opportunity. It's an opportunity for something better. It's an opportunity for us all to follow Christ. And uh, so when we have conflicts in small group or conflicts at the church, we, we should be excited about, hey, let's see what God's gonna do here. We both disagree. Mm -hmm. Let's see if God can do something great here and and see that and um, man it's such a miracle of god when you have two people who disagree who get upset there's been sin there's been wounding there's been gossiping and you see people resolve that and give grace and have forgiveness man that is a miracle and oh, it's a absolutely. beautiful beautiful thing so um i i here's where i would disagree with you a little bit and i i you know i don't have you in the room to discuss this and i'm not your counselor but i don't think I don't think you're worried about the conflict from the past. I think you're worried about it coming again in the future. I was just that, yeah. So I think what you're doing is you're misplacing, you're transferring what's happened and you're saying, well, I haven't got over that. But what it really is, is you're afraid it's going to happen again. Mm -hmm. So um, so it's like turbulence on an airplane. You're not afraid of the turbulence that just happened. You're afraid. You're afraid it's, hap it's gonna happen again. Mm -hmm. And so um, at some point you gotta understand there's going to be, at some point in time, if you fly long enough, there's gonna be turbulence. If you're alive long enough, and you have relationships, there's going to be conflict, right? It's mm -hmm. why people in America like their pets more than they do people. <laughs> in every survey, you guys, Americans like their pets more than people because your pets are safe. People are not safe. People and are, soft. People are difficult. Well, you're soft. I love you, Blue. You're very soft. And Thank hairy. You. It's true. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I hope I didn't minimize what you're saying, but just just take take what I'm saying, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and ask God, is what Pastor Matt's saying true? But I would guess it's not the conflict from your past. It's it's the it's the fear that it's going to happen again. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's where like your whole point from this weekend about gratitude is so important. Like be thankful for the times that conflict has been resolved and that you hmm. still have relationship with people who've had conflict before and use that to help you face conflict in the future and use yeah. that gratitude to help you know that there's God will get you through this too. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, just go get a whole bunch of tasty treats and shove them in your face. Don't do that. A croissant? Oh, oh not a <laughs> That's oh terrible. We're laughing. That guy died a terrible. I know. Death. I'm so. <clears throat> at least he went out in a beautiful way. I don't want to go. Out that. Do you want to go out that way? No. Uh, a croissant. Asleep with. Is a that croissant how you say it? I, I think a, a croissant. I think you say croissant. Croissant. <laughs> Thank you, French people. We Steph love you. Yes. <laughs> a croissant. You should probably. You should probably read a question, Stephanie. Yeah. So uh, Jen wrote in and said, "During the forty days of faith series, my faith has grown tremendously." Yay. Yeah. Croissant. <laughs> says, however, I'm constantly battling with my anxiety. I'm Oof. in my mid-20s, and I mainly worry about my professional future, my relationships, and God's overall plan for me. I constantly... <laughs> okay, hold on. I mainly worry about just basically everything. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I only have one concern. Everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I get Eat it. Eat a croissant. <laughs> 
I'm, she's probably worried about croissants now. Yeah, I would be. I would be. Uh, she says, I constantly pray about the things I'm worried about, but continue to experience self-doubt and worry. Is this the devil sneaking his way and destroying my, into destroying my faith with God? Or is it just me? How do I distinguish between the two? The devil and her? Yes. Hmm. So I think she's continuing to experience self-doubt and worry, even though she's praying. So she's wanting to know, is that self-doubt and worry coming from the devil or is it coming from her? I don't know. She needs to be more specific. I mean, I, we need to look at every situation. Um, what I would say is it's probably usually you. And then sometimes it's the devil. So the devil speaks lies. So he constantly speaks lies. You're no good. You can't do this. You won't amount to anything. Um, like God doesn't love you. You're not saved. Like those are the things of the devil. You know, you need to hurt yourself. All of those are the words from the devil. The, the words of God are, I love you. I've made you for more than this. You are worthy. Like, mm-hmm. like, right? The reason God hates sin in our life is because of what it does to us because he loves us. Mm-hmm. So the devil says you're worthless, you know, God says you were worth Christ and we need to remember that and and just trust that process. And so what I would say is she's a young person, she's a millennial and, and all that means is you're normal for your generation, you, that you are right smack dab where your generation is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of that is our educational system is a disaster. We have not helped kids at all. You should be figuring out what you wanna do with your life in sixth grade, not your junior year in college. Like yeah. it's completely backwards. Um, you know, just figure out what you're good at sooner rather than later and what you enjoy. And the other thing is we need to be honest about work. Work's work. Mm-hmm. And everybody talks about, you know, everybody thinks they're gonna be Steve Jobs, you know, who talks about, well, you gotta love what you do. Well, you're Steve Jobs, shut up, you know? <laughs> um, so not everybody gets to be Steve Jobs, Amazon. Not Most people are not self-driven and super creative. No one's gonna do that, <laughs> okay? Listen to me, well, guess what that means? Most people need direction, encouragement, coaching and management. Mm-hmm. See, that's the problem. In America, we want to believe that you know we're all Bill Gates. Well, how many people do you think Bill Gates employs? 100,000? Oh, yeah. yeah. 150,000? So 150,000 of amazingly talented, gifted, wonderful people have to work for Bill Gates who directs the company. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, America's weird. You know, everybody thinks that we're all going to be Bill Gates and then it, we hate Bill Gates. We hate the success, right? Well, the truth is we need those people to employ us, to create structure so we can do what we do. And that's just the reality. And so the first thing is, is be honest with yourself and stick in your lane. Figure out where God's gifted you, what you're good at. And that's gonna take a couple things. You being honest with yourself and people who are willing to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't tell you how many people at our church are like, music's my gift. And I hear them singing, I'm like, that's not your gift. (laughs) Now that's your passion. Mm -hmm. Like, I really love music. Like, I've been rocking out to Billy Idol lately in my car. Mm-hmm. Dude, I've been rocking the cradle of love in my car, <laughs> okay? But you know when I rock out by myself? In the car, not with anybody else, because I can't sing. How about the shower? No. Mm, I bet. Dude, I think my kids would come in and record it. Uh, so the car's that's, safe. That's a good point. The yeah. car's safe. That's good. So, <laughs> yeah. so I'm rocking out, you know, by myself. So I'm passionate about music, but I am not gifted at it in any way. Mm -hmm. any shape, any form. And so that's the problem is people think that they are supposed to do what they're passionate about. And what you need to look at is, okay, where am I gifted? And you need people in your life to help you figure that out. You know, we used to have that show on American Idol. Mm -hmm. And so here's the thing is a lot of these people have been lied to by their friends, by their mom, Mm -hmm. their husbands, their wives. You're so good at this. No, all of us need to Simon Cowell. Everybody (laughs) needs to Simon Cowell. That was terrible. That was Mm -hmm. awful. Don't do that again. We all need that to help direct us where we are because we're gonna be at our best when we're using the gifts that God's given us. What the apostle Paul says, be honest in your estimate of yourselves. Let each of you act according to the faith or you can translate it grace that you've been given. 
And so, so we have to look at that and we have to say, okay, here's where I am. And, and I think that's hard for us. And, and we, just, we just need to do what we've been given. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing I would do is I would sit down, um, take the Enneagram test, uh, Enneagram, Enneagram test, and figure out what's your motivation. So it's what the Enneagram reveals is why you do what you do. And so then figure that out. And then once you're honest about that is, so for me, I could do anything. I just gotta be good at it because I'm a three. <laughs> so like, if I'm not good at it, I don't wanna play. I'm a three. Mm-hmm. I, I, want, I, wanna do, I wanna do what I'm good at. And so uh, figure out what you're good at and then you can go do that and find value in that. And so one of the lies that people tell themselves is what I do doesn't matter. Well, I'm only a greeter. Well, let me tell you something. What you do matters. When you see souls walking in the door, when you see marriages that are on the brink, people considering suicide, uh, single moms who, who are completely exasperated, people who've come into the church and they know no one, you're a soul saver. Like you're the shaper of eternity for somebody's life. You're not a greeter. Mm-hmm. Like you're making, you're helping people, man, with eternity. Um, you know, greeters are like, you know, that nurse that hates her job in the ER that sits there all day long. Man, that nurse can make that decision over life and death. They've got to make an instantaneous, you know, judgment. Uh, my friend Mike went into the emergency and, and a nurse made the wrong call and he died in the lobby. Mm. He died in the lobby mm. because he, he, he looked handsome, right? He looked, oh, he looked handsome. He looked strong. <laughs> he was young. He was handsome. He looked healthy. He looked healthy. Yeah. Well, what they didn't know is he had a small tear in his heart and he was bleeding out slowly. They made the wrong call and he died. That's what greeters are. Greeters are watching that. Same thing with the front desk. People are like, well, and I constantly have this battle over when we hire somebody at the front desk. People are like, oh, it's just in a secretary. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the first line of defense for people who need help, uh, Who've hope, made the decision to actually call a church. who made yeah. a decision to call a church. That position is key to the church. It's the brain center of Sandals Church. And if we drop it, if we, if we miss it, Man, we miss an opportunity. We exist to save souls. We exist to love people. The church exists uh, for the purpose of Christ in people's lives. And so everything we do, same thing with parking lot. We have limited parking spaces. We need to help people figure out that maze every single week. It mm-hmm. matters. Those kids, when someone's dropping that off to you, you know, how did you did you help them? We've all been to, you know, Best Buy or uh, shoot, one of my friends is a manager at Best Buy. I got he listens to the show. I got to come up with another place. Circuit, Circuit City. City. They're out go. of business. So, and that's why they went out of business because they didn't have great managers like my friend Tommy at Best Buy. <laughs> all right. So, uh, um, you know, we've all been to a store where we haven't been helped. We haven't been served. You know, we weren't acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And so when people come into the church, they're judging us right away. And what's so sad is our lack of understanding of what we do can ultimately lead somebody to hell. Think about that. That's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, and, and a lot of people think, you know, jobs are, are uh, they're not that important. So like one of the jobs, you know, that airplane that crashed last week in Indonesia, mm-hmm. what they think happened is there's these tubes on the front of the airplane that uh, dictate speed. They tell, they tell the engines how fast it's going. In those, those third world tropical countries, bees and bugs like to swarm in those cones because they're warm and they go in there. And um, it's somebody's job to check that. And you say, well, I'm just a maintenance worker. Well, a pilot can't fly a plane if the engine doesn't know how, if the engine, if the computer on the plane doesn't know how f- fast it's going and it mm-hmm. crashed 14 minutes after takeoff. Mm-hmm. So see what I'm saying is all of our jobs matter. Like, you know, people make fun of bus drivers. You see that, that bus in China that crashed last week? No. Oh my gosh. Go look at the internet. This lady got mad at him because he missed her stops. She goes up, starts hitting him with a shoe. They go off the bridge into the, into the, 
what's the river in uh, Beijing? The Shang. Oh, I, oh I, come on, your guys' geography. I, Anyways, I the big river in Bank, in Beijing, they went off the bus every day. See, bus driving matters. Mm -hmm. It matters, man. Like like so many so many of the jobs that we think, oh, this doesn't matter. It matters. Mm -hmm. It matters. So you know, that's one of the things that we're not we're not helping young people see is, is how important this is. Mm -hmm. um, I was talking with a medical professional the other day. She told me she's, a, she's a, a medical scientist. And I was like, oh, you're a nurse. She's like, I'm not a nurse. She's a scientist. Her name is Wendy who examines blood. I, she had a name for a job. And I was oh, like- A phlebotomist? I, yes, a phlebotomist, which most people think that means you stick needles. Well, mm, I, think she, I think the phlebotomists work for her. Oh, okay. So she's a scientist and she's the person that actually technically evaluates the blood, does all the tests. Oh. And she said, young people don't go into that. They can't, they literally can't recruit enough people. And the yeah. job makes a ton of money. Yeah. You don't have to like wipe. You don't have to be the doctor. You don't have to like do nursing oh, stuff, yeah. which is can get a little woof. Yeah. So you're in a lab, dude, you're a scientist. And I'm like, man, you save lives. She's you get like, a white coat? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Alina says. Sorry, hey. <clears throat> life is scary. <laughs> and just so you guys know, I didn't know what yeah. I wanted to do until I was 26 and I figured yeah. out. Yeah, I feel like you're mid-20s. I feel like that's part of God's plan for you is to struggle and kind of figure that out. And yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, and it's a relatively new thing for most of human history. You know what you did? What your Whatever did. your parents did. Yeah. So hunt or gather. No, dude. I had a friend, Doctor Marler. Do you know what his name means in French? No. Poop scooper. Oh. His Ooh. family scooped poop. Oh. Awesome. You don't even have to pray about it. Your last name tells you. <laughs> What's your name, Matt Poop Scooper? That is awesome. That reminds me of Pepe Le Pew. Okay, hey, Alina says, hey guys, I struggle with depression and anxiety. And recently through Sandals Church Soul Care, I took a big step and started counseling. Yay. I'm very thankful to my church for all the help and support. My question is, am I being faithless or am I not trusting God that he can heal me by getting counseling? Or is getting additional help okay? Yeah, of course it's okay. It's wisdom. <clears throat> it's wisdom. I mean, if you break your leg, you want me to pray for it? I can. But you might want to go get that set. Right? Yeah. You might want to go get a cast on it. Because that's wisdom, that's wise. Mm -hmm. So the Apostle Paul instructs Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach ailment. So the Apostle Paul did incredible miracles. And yet in that instance, he didn't say, come to me and I'll pray over you and fix it. He said, you need to, to seek out medical help. And so that's a really, really important verse. And so what I would do is, so again, when I had my mental breakdown in my mid thirties, I went to counseling. I went to soul care, what we call soul care. I went for spiritual direction. And I changed my diet and started exercising. I changed everything about my, my life. I was not fit. I, you know, I, in, in your 30s, all of a sudden you realize you're not young anymore and, and you can't <laughs> just eat whatever you want and your body starts changing. Yeah, mm -hmm. I hurt something in my rib brushing my teeth this morning. Yeah, that happens. So I, My neck's been hurt a week <clears throat> just from laying my head back down on a pillow. <laughs> See, this welcome to 30s. old age. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's better. Glad to be here. <clears throat> Yours is worse than mine. 30s, you're not dead yet. <laughs> But you're on your <laughs> no, way. It's going to get worse. Yeah. So so that's what I would say is, you know, mm -hmm. some churches, here, here's what I would say. I'm afraid of people who think that psychology is the answer for everything. And then I'm afraid of people who think it's never the answer for anything. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is go, go to it, check it out, try it. Um, and again, your therapy is only going to be as good as your therapist. Mm. That's just the reality. And just like in every profession, there's people who should not do what they do. The same is true of therapists. Same is true of doctors, pastors, lawyers, policemen, teachers, parents, right? Uh, there's just, there's always gonna be people who are terrible at what they do. So don't give up if you have a bad encounter with a therapist, you know, call the church and let us know, you know, cause we recommend people and it, yeah. if it goes bad, tell us. Like we need to know that. Yeah. Um, so 
Because, you know, sometimes we can have a great meeting with somebody, but we didn't do therapy with them. So we might not know, mm -hmm. you know, how they are. So I yeah. would say use, utilize all three. And if you're struggling with depression and anxiety, you need to be willing to change everything about what you're currently doing in your life. Yeah. So if, you, if you want change, then you have to embrace change. Yeah. Can you speak into how medication plays into that too? We got a lot of questions about, is it okay for Christians to take medication for anxiety, depression, things like that? Yes, it is. But you need to have a good psych uh, psychiatrist who's watching over you because, you know, they don't understand how all that stuff works and some of it can make it worse. So, you know, it's called the practice of medicine. So you need to very quickly be in touch. You need to be 100% and completely honest about anything you're taking I had a friend of mine who was not honest with his shrink. Uh, he was taking um, steroids and some other things and he ended up taking his life mm. because the the, uh, the, interaction. the interaction with steroids and some other things that he was doing, herbal supplements, all of that, you need to tell your doctor. And again, Americans lie to two professions more than any other, remember? Pastors and, and doctors. Mm -hmm. Do you exercise every day? Do you smoke? Never, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, your heart doesn't know that. So- um, we need to be completely honest and that's really, really hard. And just, just to be complete disclosure, I found as a three that I would want my therapist to like me. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself lying, which doesn't help. No. Like well, it they could probably tell. Yeah. I don't know. I never asked them. I should go back and ask them. But I was like, hmm, you know, um, so you, you gotta be completely honest. You, you mm -hmm. just do, right? Jesus said the truth will set you free. So what does that mean lies do? So I would just say, and again, a pill is not gonna fix everything for everybody. We're, we're all, we all have different chemistry. We're all a little different. So just embrace that. Get in a community group that understands that, people that can pray for you. Yeah. Uh, some people, you know, um, are super critical of people who have anxiety and depression. If that's your small group, get a new one. Mm -hmm. You know, get a new one. Uh, but let me say this, you've gotta be willing to change. So if you keep coming to me and you don't you don't do anything I say and you're frustrated that nothing's changing, I'm going to be frustrated with you. You've got to take ownership. You're the captain of your ship. You are sailing in this life. You have to do what you need to do. And so here's the truth. You have to become your own advocate in the medical community. You have to press in. You have to push. Um, you know, uh, when when I go go to talk to doctors, man, I I'm paying you. You work for me. Here's what I want, and I I press through that. Um, because otherwise, you know, you're just a patient, you're just a number. And so you have to press into that. So, yeah. um, and there are some really great doctors, but a lot of them, man, they're just like us. They're, they're, they've got more patients than they can see in less time than they need. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that was helpful. No, I think so. My favorite part was when you said, you're the captain of your ship, you're sailing the sea of life, because I thought that would be a great song. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could work on, uh, you know, with your passion of music when you drive yeah, home. It's not my gift. You're the captain of your ship. It's not your gift either. You yeah. are sailing through the sea of life. Mm. All right. I don't All right, know. We're that could have worked in the 70s. That gave me anxiety. <laughs> we have one last question that came in from <clears throat> Ashley. And I love her question here because I think it's actually tying right in what you're saying. And I think it's a great way to wrap up. How can we be there for friends who are struggling with anxiety and depression? I have. A, she says, I have a friend who's consumed by anxiety. And I've tried to be there for her. But more and more, I find myself getting frustrated and angry because I don't know her, how to relate to her when it comes to her anxiety, how do I help her? Yeah, so uh, here's the big thing is, is somebody sick or do they want attention? So Jesus meets the man at the well who'd been there for 38 years and Jesus says, what do you want? So the question we have to ask our friends is do you want to be well? So, some people don't. Some people's identity is completely wrapped up in being a victim, being sick, being diseased. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's where they are. So you have to discern, 
does this person want to get well? Because eventually what they could do is tank you. Mm -hmm. And there've been many people at Sandals that I've had to break up with over the years because they don't want to get well, they just want to gripe. And, and literally it's like this broken record. No one even knows what a record is anymore, but it just, you know, just keeps going back and back and back and back. You just replay, replay, and they never make any changes. They blame everybody else. And so what you need to say is, I am as committed to you as you are to changing. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. I'm as committed to you as you are to changing. If I feel like you're trying, I'm in this. What I don't do is I just, I do not waste my time on people who don't want to change because all they're going to do is waste my time. And I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, I do a lot of funerals. We don't have a lot of time. The Bible says, make the most of your time during these wicked days. It's in Ephesians. Redeem the time. So we've got to work on that. And so here's what I want to do. I want to help the anxious people who want to get well. Mm -hmm. I've given you a formula. Here's the first step. Stop worrying. So when you sense yourself worrying, do you need to tell yourself, I need to stop. I need to stop doing this. This is not good for me. What do I need to do? I need to pray about this. And here's the thing. Some of you guys, you don't know what you're anxious about. So Romans says that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that we don't even understand. God helps us pray. Say, God, help me pray. I don't know why I'm anxious right now, mm -hmm. but I am. And so I want, I want to take this unknown reason and I want to submit it to you, God. That's a supplication. I don't know what this is. Now, if you know what it is, give it to God. If you don't, just say, God, because here's the thing. Even if you don't know it, God knows it. Mm -hmm. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And then start to reflect and literally write down what are the things that you're thankful for? What are the amazing things that God has done for you? So I don't know if you guys saw it last week. I think you posted it. We had that incredible sunset mm -hmm. last week. It was stunning. Oh, yeah. And I, I didn't have my phone, but I, I just found myself sitting there watching this. And, and when I got back and I checked Instagram, it's like, boom, boom, oh, boom. Yeah. Yeah. It was pink and orange and blue. And and it was just like, wow. And it was just literally like God just was like, check this out. And he just did this amazing sunset. It was just spectacular. you know. And, and Riverside has the beautiful mountain landscape with the tall palm trees. Mm -hmm. Like it's, there's no place like that anymore in Southern California. Everything's now is houses and it's just gross. Riverside still has, you know, the orange groves, the little hills and the tall, it just, it, it was literally, I just was like, thank you, God. Thank oh, you yeah. for this moment. Yeah. It was powerful. And so part of the problem is we're so wrapped up in ourselves. We're not seeing what God is doing. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing the wonders of what's happening. And, um, and that's the other thing. If you cannot be about yourself for a second and look at look at how God is healing someone else. So see, when you're bitter, you go, well, why doesn't God heal me? When you're thankful, you're saying, God, thank you that you healed them. That gives me hope for me. Mm -hmm. See, it's the same thing. Is just like if you're 33 and single, you go to a wedding, you can be bitter or hopeful. Mm -hmm. So when, you, when your friend gets married, you go, oh, well, you know, it's never gonna be me. Or you can go, wow, there are good guys out there. There, mm -hmm. there are guys um, you know, and this is awesome and, and you're hopeful for that. So, um, that's what I would encourage you to do. Yeah. Any thoughts? You look like you want to say something. No, it's good. I love the show. Yeah. Okay, good. I love you guys. And, and again, really, really take the time, become a Bible student and work through. And I, I haven't even covered what comes next. Fix your thoughts on everything that's good, right, true. That's like Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Mm -hmm. So some of you guys just, so it starts off in like 4, 4 with rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Mm -hmm. And then it ends with fix your thoughts. And so really what it's about, it's about changing our thinking, which we're gonna get into this weekend. Oh, and uh, thanking God for what he's done and, so, and focusing on those things because we naturally gravitate towards what's bad. I do. We are naturally glass half empty people. Mm. So, mm -hmm. all right, love you guys. All right. If you guys want any of the notes from this episode, you can go to debrief.show slash 125 or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Debrief Show. Croissant.
You're the captain of your ship, sailing on the seas of life. Raise the sails of responsibility and float away from strife. 